Welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church Podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. my friends and welcome to Trinity Sunday as we celebrate the whole Trinity the Pentecost is the coming of the Holy Spirit the birthday of the church and so now we begin the six month long season that comes after Pentecost where the Holy Spirit has empowered the church for us to be everything that we were meant to be and so we tell the story through the Trinity through our triune God we tell about the Holy Spirit that's within us and we celebrate that it's come alongside of us to work through us and we celebrate the word and flesh in Jesus Christ and God the Creator as Scripture describes God our mother our father that which gives us life and so what a great day to celebrate the Trinity and also what a very difficult day as we just know everything that's happening around us and we're going to talk about the Trinity a bit we're going to talk about how the Trinity is given to us at the beginning of our scripture and then we're going to spend time in Genesis 1 to talk about the intention of everything and then talk about how we see that same intention at the very last bit of our Bible and Revelation and talk about what that means for us because it's a it's a a very important question for us to continue to come back to again and again to be reminded of our purpose because it is very easy to get distracted, to get lost, to get pulled off the path and to be following something else. Amen? Is it just me? I think we're all kind of in that boat. And so Trinity, God is three in one. You've heard that before. It might seem simple enough. It's what I call Christian math. One plus one plus one equals one. And doesn't really work, but it gets the idea. And there's been a lot of debate over the years, century, millennia, great minds, great hearts, trying to explain what that means. And I'm thankful for that. They, to answer questions of well, what does it mean that God is creator, father, mother? What does it mean that Jesus Christ is word and flesh? What does it mean that the Holy Spirit is within us? So we think about all these things and we recognize that for the past 2,000 years, there's been a lot of debate been a lot of disagreement. There's been a lot of discussion about the elements that we consider crucial and foundational for our faith. And what's great about this kind of debate and disagreement and discussion is the whole idea and having these conversations, entering into it, thinking about it, it's helping us understand more about our God, more about ourselves, more about each other, and more about our world, and how there is a purpose behind all of it. And our faith helps guide us into that purpose. And so anymore, these days, it feels pretty chaotic outside. It feels pretty chaotic no matter what news station we might turn on, what, no matter what newspaper we might read, wherever we're getting our news, and I really hope it's not Facebook, but wherever we're getting our news, we're seeing that there's a lot of chaos. And 
This word chaos is an interesting one that also has a lot of debate and disagreement and discussion about it, the idea of what is chaos. But what we find in the opening words of the Bible is that chaos is the opposite of order and purpose. So if if you're lacking order and purpose, then you are living in chaos. And so many older stories, many ancient stories from the time of the early Israelites had a story of how all of this came to be, but most of the stories talked about an origin of chaos. And we even hear some of that kind of storytelling today, even in modern storytelling about how everything came to be. And so you'll hear things like, well, it just happened, right? It just came to be. And there's no purpose or no order when things just come to be. And so the ancient people of God knew the stories of their time, particularly those of the Babylonians when they were in exile uh, several centuries before the coming of Christ. When they were in exile, they lived in an entirely new place with an entirely different kind of temple, with entirely different God, with stories about everything that gives meaning and purpose behind their lives. And so the stories that they heard, one of them, was about two great sea monsters that fought and battled. And from that battle, one was defeated, and the one that defeated the loser uh, cut up their body and and their body became the sun and moon and stars and and the earth and everything else. And so the origin of that story is chaos and violence. It's not a good story. It doesn't really give you the sign that there's any purpose or order to any of this, which is why not long after the exile, we have Genesis 1 given to us, this incredible poem that weaves in the elements of this Babylonian story, but from the angle and perspective of the God of the Israelites, our God, our triune God. And so we find that the opening poem tells of God taking chaos, which you might see in your translation as formless, void, wild, welter, waste, darkness. There's just nothing there. It's like a piece of clay that hasn't been formed yet. There's just nothing to it. You can't name what it is or what it's purposes. There's no order. And so we find from this crude and unformed material, God then uttered those famous words, let there be. And that's the way that this poem begins, the story of how we came to be. Now the poem follows a pattern from later in scripture in Exodus. So if you go to Exodus near the end and you see the creation of the tabernacle, what we find is a particular order of how it was made. So the the real short way to tell the story is they built the outside of the tabernacle. They, They kind of created the walls or the space. Then they built the tent or tabernacle. They built the ceiling and the walls. And then they filled this habitation with different things. And so you find a lampstand. Um, You find other elements that you can go and find. You fill it with these elements, and then the final act of the tabernacle is when the very presence of God comes to be in the tabernacle. And so then the presence of God is with the people wherever they go. So you build the habitation, you fill the habitation with inhabitants, uh, in this case, things, and then the presence of God comes, and that's the creation of a temple. So what we find in Genesis 1 is the building of a habitation, and one in days one, two, and three. And then in days three, four, and five, the habitations are filled with inhabitants. And then the final act of the creation of this heaven and earth, the sky earth temple, 
is the very presence of God coming to be present in human beings. Now see, in other religions of the day, they had temples, habitations, they filled it with things like altars, and then they would have a statue of the God, whatever the God was. The statue itself wasn't the God, however, they regarded the way you treated the statue, worshiped the statue, the idol, the image of the God, as the way that you actually worshiped and treated the God itself. So you treated the image of God, the, the idol, the statue, with great reverence and respect. In this temple, as it's given to us in Genesis, the final act is the creation of the God image in human beings. And somehow through human beings, the very presence of God comes to fill and be upon and within this temple. God enters the cosmic temple through the image, through us, and then gives us a special task to rule. The, word, the root word is rule. For You might see it subdue or have dominion, but the idea is to rule. And we rule as God rules. God creates, gives life, creates purpose, and order. And we are then to work with the whole earth the way that God has been working with it to give order and purpose to bring life. So plants can't properly grow or near, near as well unless they're tended to and they are worked with. Animals cannot thrive unless they are taken care of and guided. And so all human beings are potential image bearers is what the poem wants to get across. All human beings bear the image of God. That was the intent. And so how we treat the image bearers, following the way that you worshiped back then, how you treated the image bearers is how you treat God. So let us hear from the words of Genesis 1 through chapter 2, the first part of verse 4. Let's hear it again and understand this wonderful ordering and this purposing and this careful crafting of creation. And you'll notice in the Bible slides, the scripture slides, there are different colors in the words. And I'm just trying to show you that what you can't quite see in the English, um, unless we do this, is there's repetition, there's form, there's refrain, there's chorus. It's very much a poem with echoes and all the things that are repeated are points that we need to grab onto and hang onto. And so anytime there's repetition, it's trying to get a point across. So let's hear and see the poem anew. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness God called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, Let there be a dome in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. So God made the dome and separated the waters that were under the dome from the waters that were above the dome. And it was so. God called the dome sky. And there was an evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the sky be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, 
and the waters that were gathered together God called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees of every kind on earth that bear fruit with the seed in it. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed of every kind, and trees of every kind bearing fruit with the seed in it. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons, and for days and years, and let them be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. God set them in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky. So God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves of every kind, with which the waters swarm, and every winged bird of every kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things, and wild animals of the earth of every kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals of the earth of every kind, and the cattle of every kind, and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done. And God rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, 
because on it God rested from all the work that had been done in creation. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. One of my favorite pieces of scripture. It's such a, such a great way to begin the story. This sets the tone for the whole story, for the whole faith. It's placed at the beginning because this is the lens through which we are to see the world. And then if we go all the way to the Bible's closing, the way that it's in our hands today is in Revelation. And in the final chapters, what we find is that the world has been restored as a temple once more. The whole world, the earth, has been renewed. The sky and the earth has been made new. And now the whole thing's a temple. And we are all image bearers. And we now live in a place where everything is ordered and purpose and thrives. And the great chaotic seawaters are nowhere to be found in that final image. And so we are bookended in our story. So where it all comes from, order and purpose. Where it's going to end, order and purpose. And so we're in the middle. And we understand that this this Christian life is, is tied to our understanding of how everything began and how where it's all headed. And so understanding the opening picture, uh, we see that there's a relationship between the creator, the word, and the spirit. And so in the poem, you heard us. Let us create human beings in our image. And you notice that this relational image is female and male together as one. So it clues us into the incredible importance of relationship and creation. God is relationship. Creator, word, spirit. And we are in relationship. And we are ruling as God rules. And we are the beings through which God rules. At least that was the intention. Now, it doesn't take us long to mess it up. And you can read the story of immediately there was a desire to rule by our own way rather than by God's. And so we have a lot of stories between the opening and closing scenes that tells of our struggle. A struggle we know too well this day. We can witness the rejection of our purpose and order as image bearers everywhere we go. We can see it in our own lives. We can see it in the lives on TV and in our community. Image bearers are not doing their part. Image bearers are being mistreated. Image bearers are being regarded as less than holy. They are not regarded as sacred souls, which is what they are. So instead of regarding each other as image bearers, we human beings have created all sorts of labels, categories, status markers. We're trying to determine who is right and who isn't, trying to determine who is better, who deserves what and who doesn't deserve what. And so we know that today, people all across our very own community are reeling and they're in pain. And they've been in pain for years. People in our church are brokenhearted and they're suffering and they're even suffocating. People in our world are hungry, they're thirsty, and they're in need. And I mean literally hungry and thirsty and in need. Jesus tells the disciples, what you do for the least of these, you do for me. Because Jesus wants us to see that the true identity of us all are image bearers. How we treat the image of God 
is how we treat God. Now, I know that many of us right now in this time are feeling a great many things. I've seen a lot of anger this week. I've seen a lot of sadness. I've seen a, a lot of fear, which is masked, uh, or, or people think that they're angry when they're really uh, terrified. I've seen a lot of contempt, a lot of disdain. I've seen harmful stares and angry voices. I've seen violent actions, and I've heard calls for domination. I've seen broken hearts, broken bodies, murder, death. I've heard the cries of entire peoples who are asking to be able to breathe, to walk in their own home, to sleep in their own home without fear to walk in their own street without worry. Some people just want to go to work without having to look over their shoulder and wonder if a moment's getting ready to come that they'll no longer be safe. We are in the midst of multiple great storms. We have a virus that has killed 100,000 plus Americans, 100,000, and it threatens many more still right now. We have death in the streets at the hands of those who vow to protect and serve. We have many who fulfill that vow to protect and serve, and they're now feeling the blowback because of those who broke that vow. We see the people one side who are being regarded in a negative tone because of a, a very small few, or maybe people that aren't really even a part of that group. And then we have the other side where the whole group is being judged by the actions of a very small few, or maybe a few that really aren't even a part of that group. It's the same story. We could keep going on about all the things we're facing this day, that all there is to see and to feel, to hear, to discern, to debate, to disagree on and discuss. Where do we begin? I mean, what does the church have to say about all this? It's a question we need to ask ourselves. What does the church have to say? What, does the, what do the image bearers of God have to say? What does God have to say? We've said yes to becoming the very temple of God here, where the very presence of God exists, through which God rules. We've become the very body of Jesus Christ filled with the very spirit. What do we have to say? I struggle with this. I've been struggling with it all week as I'm guessing many of you have. Even when we find the battle cries that we wanna scream because it allows us to, to get out this, this feeling, uh, to, to relieve the emotions that we're experiencing. And we struggle through that, but that doesn't mean that what we've said and what we're doing is right. I know that right now, I felt it's a time to listen, to provide space for those who have been unheard for so long to be heard. And that in itself is a great act. Not saying something sometimes is the best thing to say. 
I know that we also have much to say as the church and all that it means to serve a triune God, to be in this great world of faith with each other and, and to what purpose we're all to be pressing on towards. For now, in my time of listening, I also have found that it's a good time to ask questions. So I just wanna ask some questions. And I want us to work through those questions together, remembering that we have a lens that defines who we are as image bearers, what our purpose is, what the order is intended to be. So sit with these questions, and I think questions offer more than answers do, many times, and especially now. So let me begin. What might the world look like if the church, which claims one-third of the world population, what if we all truly and completely regarded every human being as the image of God? as sacred, as precious, as equal. What would that look like? What would change right now if the entire church, every single person who follows Jesus Christ, put down their defenses? What if we all stopped caring about being right? What if we stopped trying to promote the agenda of the political party to which we approve of? What if we just stopped? What if we didn't care about that right now? What if we stopped trying to put any one group of human beings over or above or ahead of another? What if we stopped trying to put one country over and above and ahead of every other? What if everybody was equal and we truly regarded every person as the very image of God? What if we just took the time to find the image of God in the people around us? If we stopped thinking of what we're gonna say next, thinking of how we think things should be, and when we encounter anybody, anyone, what if we just made it our mission to find the image of God in them, to see it, to see the presence of God? How might that change our approach to conversations with our, our family, with our friends and our neighbors? How might that change how we engage with our enemies or to the people of the other political party or the other agenda or the other cause? What if we put down our weapons first? Or maybe we need to start with a simpler question. What would it look like if we regarded ourselves as an image bearer, as made in the image of God? Might we tend to our own souls differently? Would we eat differently? Would we drink differently? Would we be more mindful of what we took in 
as far as media or entertainment, what it is we subjected our souls to. Would we offer ourselves a little more grace? Could we forgive ourselves for things that we did so long ago? Could we stop trying to make up for the person we were so long ago that we aren't anymore? Might we rediscover our purpose if we came to understand ourselves as image bearers? And then we look to other people that are different than us. What if we remembered that Jesus is a Middle Eastern man who doesn't look like us? Every character in the Bible was a person of color. It's interesting that we don't depict them that way. And there may be good reasons why, and there may be some reasons we need to revisit. But they're the image of God, too. Do we treat ourselves with the same grace that we treat the, the biblical characters? Because many of them did some pretty awful things at one point, but found purpose and order and redemption in God. Isn't that available to us? What if we started responding to everyone around us as if we were God's chosen representatives, image bearers, charged with taking care of the earth, taking care of all people, taking care of each other, with choosing the power of love over the love of power? What if we started believing what Jesus said? What if we believe that it's the poor in spirit who are blessed, those who are in despair, those who are regarded as society by the least? What if it is them that are blessed? What if the ones that are blessed are those who mourn, who have no power, who hunger and thirst for justice, who have no self-serving intention, who choose to see all sides of the debate, disagreement, and discussion to help everyone understand each other better because they value relationship, being in relationship, more than they value being right. What if we as the church in Jesus' calling in, in Matthew 5 through 7, what if we stopped being angry with our sisters and brothers? What if we never uttered the words, you fool? toward another person again? What if we let our actions do the talking for us and just quit trying to convince people with our words of what we're about? What if we never retaliated or picked up weapons to resist those who wish to harm us? What if we loved our enemies? What if we prayed for them? What if we worshiped God for God alone, not for anything it might bring us with no amount of concern of going to heaven after we die, but we just made it about God, not about looking more religious to our friends or family, but just about God? What if we never 
worried about having what we need. What if we stopped serving wealth and status? What if we served God alone instead? We loved God alone instead. What if we never judged each other? What would that look like? In the beginning, everything was ordered and given purpose. We human beings were given the greatest of tasks to be the image of God in the world. The Holy Spirit has been given to us to reside in us and through us because of Jesus Christ, who truly lived the will and way of God, who truly embodied everything that we just pondered. He showed us the way and how to live this faith for real. Jesus is the way. You, you live as Jesus lived, cross and all. Jesus, who cleanses our hearts, who takes the temple and cleans out all the junk and inhabitants that never belonged so that we could be renewed and filled with God's spirit again, that we can become the temple we were always meant to be. And through that spirit, guides us now. Jesus does. My friends, let us ponder these questions in our hearts. Let us go beyond just going through the motions of our faith and let us stop and consider what it might mean if we truly lived it. To live by the way of God revealed through the word and spoken to us through the Holy Spirit in our hearts. What if we did this? What might happen? Our community, our world needs us now as much as or more than ever. Let us pray. Creator God, who gives us purpose, calls our lives into order. We praise your sovereignty over all the earth. We celebrate all authority on heaven and earth given to Jesus Christ, our Lord. We open ourselves to your Holy Spirit who leads us into fullness of life here and now as your image bearer. Lord, we need you to speak within our hearts. We need you to calm us, to silence our egos, to quiet our fears, to relieve our anger, and to help us put down our gavels. Lord, we have, we have let far too many things into our hearts that have never belonged. They've only led us astray, out of order and into chaos, out of purpose and into wildness and waste. Lord, we have tried far too long to have control 
we have hardened our hearts so much that we have stopped bearing your image and we have stopped treating your image bearers with reverence, respect, and love. We've exchanged your goodness for our pleasure, your justice for our comfort and convenience, your equity for our indulgence. Forgive us, O Lord. Lead us to have repentant hearts. Help us to stop resisting right here and now the very notion that we need repentance. Help us to know that we can be honest with you so that we can begin to be honest with ourselves, so that we can begin to be honest with each other. Help us to remove our armor, to put down our weapons, to drop our shields, to remove our fig leaves and all the things we use to cover ourselves, protect ourselves, that ends up cutting us off. All that we carry, Lord, has been simply for our own selves and our own lives. Help us to choose your way in each and every moment. Help us to stop and pray before we respond to what's happening around us. Help us to choose being in relationship over being right. Help us to look to you and your guidance rather than the news. Help us to seek and honor Jesus Christ as our King and leader rather than anyone else. Lord, help us to be your church, your temple. Let grace flow from us. Let peace flow through us. Let justice flow like a river. Let love be our light. We give you all the glory and honor and praise, O Lord. We give ourselves to you for the sake of your order and purpose for our lives, for our church, and for our world. In Jesus' name we pray through the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit. Amen. We thank you for joining us today, and it is our hope that you have experienced the blessing of God through our time together. If you'd like to know more about our church community and its ministries, visit our website at sellersburgumc.com.